Ladies and gents, uh, welcome back to another podcast. Today, uh, we've got Pavel. Uh, and Pavel's CTO of uh, a company called Nate, who are doing some awesome things in uh, the payment and shopping experience world. So today, Pavel's going to give us uh, a little bit of a backdrop to the last four years with the business, what it actually means to be CTO of the business, uh, and AI when it comes to shopping experiences and all the fun things and challenges around that. Pavel, how are we? Yeah, hi. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks. Good. Good. Nice to be here. Lovely to be here as well. And tell us a little bit about um, Nate then. For all the listeners listening, um, tell us a little bit about who, who Nate are. And and what's the vision of the business? Yeah, um, Nate is a customer payment business, um, allowing doing things like listing, gifting, purchases, and with any payment method on, on the web. So essentially, as a user, you choose an item, you share it with Nate, and you don't need to do the main task of, of the checkout. So you don't care about filling the forms of shipping, billings, adding to cards, uh, and so on. Additionally, there's also some some features like buy an operator, for example, you don't need to pay upfront. You can split it into four installments. Um, you gain some, some security. Your card is not really exposed to, to them, merchant, um, because we issue single VCM cards. Uh, that's kind of it. That's, um, that's the main promise, saving users time and allowing this universal experience of shopping um, with any payment method. Nice. But before we get a little bit more into um, features of the product, where okay. you're live, um, I, I need this, by the way. I, I'm going to jump on it as soon as it's possible. Um, but okay. tell us a little bit about the last four years and, if you like, inception of Nay, your journey over the last four years with the business. What, what's that been like? Oh yeah, it's been <laughs> it's, it's been a journey uh, as a company. It's we shifted, we we scoped a couple of times. It started as a B two B focus um, yeah. product. Then after like a year, we switched. We did a hard switch into B two C, and we launched uh, a B two C app in in the US uh, as a soft launch with a waiting list, essentially um, focusing on the consumers instead of partnerships. Yeah. And now we're bringing partnerships back as well. So the work. A few changes. Um, my, my my journey was uh, quite bumpy one. I mean, not in a bad way, but uh, <laughs> I transitioned from as um, software engineer to to being like a tech lead and managing people. I, I did manage some some teams in the past, but it was very small, not like seventeen, eighteen yeah. um, engineers. And then eventually I, I became the CTO, which is like more, more high level abstract uh, vision in terms of architecture and, and the technical direction. So I'm learning every day. Like still, even today, if you ask me what is my job, I can't really define it because I'm still jumping around and fixing small things or advising or giving context to people uh, within the system architecture or on the yeah. technical side. Um, but it's but it's in progress. Like same as like systems that are never done. It's always evolving. It's always reshaping. Um, that's how I feel. 
<laughs> so, yeah. there's there's a bit of a personal and professional evolution isn't there really a bit business change scope a year in i, I want to try and uncover that a little bit more but i think on on a professional side as well i, th- I think credit yeah. to you it's nice to see that rise throughout a business especially fast growing businesses where you get that opportunity um you've got or you've shown the ability you can do that yeah, it's um, there's a lot of uh, it involves a lot of context switching. It, it involves a lot of uh, yeah. process building and release of control. Like b- being one of the first uh, engineers when I joined, um, it was um, uh, a couple of guys, three guys: um, the CEO Albert, Lucas, chief of science, and uh, another data scientist. Yeah. And uh, you're building the system from ground up from, from a very small project that essentially becomes like a distributed uh, cloud ar- architecture. And yeah. when you grow in your role, you, you always need to like release the parts that you own. You need to yeah. trust people. And, and it's, sometimes it's hard because you're attached to it emotionally, but uh, it's unavoidable. Like you can't be involved in every single thing. Yeah. M- micromanagement is not the solution. If you were to go back, what would, I, what would you do differently yeah. <laughs> and why? It's really easy It's really easy to say it now because you, you know the problems. You've seen the problems. You experience the pain. Yeah. Um, but I would uh, architect the, the solution differently if I knew when it would have been in three years, yeah. of course. But at the time, it wasn't feasible. So it's easy to say, but I would, I would include more... For example, event-driven uh, communication instead of direct API calls. Yeah. That would be one of the... I can imagine the business, business logic probably changed from the switch of scope from B2B and partnerships to B2C, which probably required, well, I don't know, required a different architecture yeah. or different technical decisions. That's quite an interesting touch point, as in... What made you switch from B to B to B to C? As a company, the, there was just a huge interest in, in the B to C. At the time, there was a lot of um, a lot of press going in terms of Google Assistant automation. When Google Assistant was booking tickets and cars, um, actually, I'm not sure what happened to it. But, um, that's I think that was one of the drives to go into B to C. The, the, B2, the B2B was always there. It, it just was a bit deprioritized in, in terms of uh, development okay. feature-wise, but, but we still had B2B partners uh, along the way. Um, so it's kind of, it's not like we completely left the B2B aside. Uh, B2B was always there. It was just on the very small fire cooking. Now, now, now it's cooking more. Now we have, um, yeah. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about the features then that you offer in a B2C capacity. You know, we've spoken about one-click checkouts, buy now, pay later, uh, other things. It'd be good to hear you uncover them and and what's been added to Nate. The core functionality that was always there, both in B2B and B2C, is the purchase itself. Uh, Without that... uh, it's kind of there is no name, so yeah. um, that that was the main feature, the first feature of submitting purchases with, with settings. Well, by settings, I mean 
options all of the product like color size um something like that. No. um so so the purchase was always there then then we start um we we introduced lists as a as a feature in, in order to to enable more um, interactions for users and make it more sociable uh, yeah. system because, because you can add wish lists to lists, you can share lists, people can follow lists. It creates this ecosystem of uh, personal recommendations, which is quite different from like what Amazon does, right? It, it gives you recommendations based on algorithms that analyze similar patterns yeah. and so on. Net is very personal focused. Um, and then after lists, we added uh, gifts, which is also a really cool feature. You can send someone a gift, and then if you accept the gift, you pay for it, but it's cheap too. To your friend, okay. uh, which is really nice for like um, um, Thanksgiving and Christmas time, you know, yeah. the, the sort of gifts. What else? Uh, Binoculator was was a feature we introduced around a year ago. That that was that was kind of fun one because at the time we didn't have a lot of engineers and. Yeah, we did went with internal implementation of it, so we didn't use third-party uh, provider. Yeah, um, there's a lot of edge cases with binoculator and payments. Um, so yeah, that was that, that was a big that was a big effort. Yeah, sure. Uh, I can imagine that one, and it's quite a competitive space as well, right? It you is. Know, we're, we're talking about <laughs> yeah. um, the US here. I, I don't know too much about the US buy now, pay later landscape, but especially here in the EU, it, it's a big market that that I think companies have capitalized on. And you said there was quite a lot of edge cases there. J- just touch on some of the challenges that, that were centered around buy now, pay later and, uh, and what a, a day-to-day might have looked like solving problems. Yeah. Um, so... In terms of competition, it's not to be competing with anyone because it's our internal product that, yeah. that, that we use. True. Um, but, but, and, it, and it actually gives us a lot of visibility internally. Um, for example, if we assess user risk scores, we have all the information inside. We don't send anything to a third party. Okay. Um, edge cases in terms of operator, <laughs> payments can, can, can go in different um, states it, it can be completed successfully it can be reversed it can be uh, partially completed there's a lot of things that needs to be accountable so, yeah. and then if you split it into four installments you basically multiply the surface by four so okay. a lot of um makes both sense. automated processes yeah yeah but as a business do you need to be capital intensive to to be able to do that and take ownership for the payment yeah yeah you do it's it's quite easy when you have a small audience of, of users, but when the user audience growing, yeah, you do. You do. Yeah, I can and imagine. That's kind of where we are at the at the middle of the hockey stick. We just like going. Very yeah. nice, good. Let's keep going. Well, whereabouts? Yeah. Whereabouts you live? Where can people use Nate? Nate is enabled in in the US App Store, so anywhere in the US you can download and. You can use it. Nice. I personally, I'm in the UK. I can't really use it, although I have like test built. Um, but I'm using it for uh, for creating my own list for books, for example, to keep track of what books I'm reading, what books I'm I'm sharing with as recommendations with others. But there's like 
different use cases. Nice. Okay. We, you touched on quite an interesting point at the start of the pod around um, you'd have probably done something in a uh, different design. Well, I think it was event-driven architectures instead of your standard API calls. It, it would be interesting to understand a little bit around the technical landscape. And you seem quite reflective in terms of what you've got already and, and help us understand what you've built and why you've built it a certain way. So I know you can break down some of these different domains for us into consumer automation partnership. So do you want to start by just uncovering some of those parts for us? The parts that related to event-driven or for in the domain Good point. itself? Good point. Let's separate those two. The event-driven parts okay. and then those domains themselves. Event-driven, it's just a nice way to create a very scalable and robust info tournament yeah. system. At the, at the time when we built it, the, the pace was so fast that, uh, that we didn't we didn't really took a step back and thought about how, how the system will evolve in the future, but we also didn't know how it would be. Um, so we did the thing that, that we knew. We either throw everything in one monolith and then eventually decompose it into smaller services, but still yeah. the services were re really coupled. So when you deploy, you had to deploy more than one service and you had to deploy them in the right order to not create breaking changes and so on. Um, one place that event driven is, is shining now in our mind is um, decoupling of this domain. So, so domains, the, the communication between consumer and automation. Okay. Um, yeah, like defining the contract between the subsystem and and creating them completely decoupled. And that looks like really good. We did start already doing things um, in that domain, but. Um, I mean, in the domain of the coupling um, domains, but but it's like it's a long-term project. And then every time when there's new service, you also need to take into account. And that's why that's why we 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 created the platform team that, that will create these tools to enable this uh, technical transformation. Good answer. Technical transformations underway. You've spoken about decoupling some of those different domains. Break those down for us uh, and and talk to us a little bit about what they actually do for Nate as a business. So I mentioned already the consumer uh, domain and, and, and automation, automation focusing on the checkout, consumer, everything supporting uh, consumer services and the clients. But inside consumer, you also have um, uh, another separation. Uh, currently, we have a team focusing on, on pre-purchase. So anything social that happens before someone purchasing an item, a uh, team that focusing on the purchase, which is the actual execution in yeah. terms of payments and installments and so on, and post-purchase, which is what happens after. Um, that's like a recent change. Before that, we had uh, a separation in terms of consumer and payments, so like a team focusing on payment stuff and consumer on the consumer, uh, consumer social stuff. Uh, so. Yeah, like the, because the product is constantly evolving, one, one of the challenges that you have is how do you evolve and adapt the system? You can't sure. just like reshuffle it every month. And, and event driven create, creates this possibility of, 
observable um, events that's happening in the system that you can also look historically and see what happened before. Nice. Okay. There's there's also quite an interesting part in there. I, I can imagine this might come as AI is an element to you as a business as well. Consumer habits and how people are shopping is probably massively valuable on that consumer part that's connected to your automation domain as well. And probably quite valuable for partnerships. There's, there's some interesting technical transformation part that you're particularly keen to talk about in regards to migration to Kubernetes as well. So you've spoken about some of these event-driven architectures. Help us understand some of the challenges or, or even the thought process around what that looks like migrating to Kubernetes. That would be quite cool to understand. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, the Kubernetes is uh, it's an interesting topic. I, I saw you set up with a smile there. So <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I I personally enjoy working with, and, and I think it was one of the best uh, decisions that we made. But okay, so starting from the from the start of how Kubernetes got into our system. It, it was quite early. It was about two, almost two and a half years when we started thinking about it because our very first services and some of them still running as the legacy system, uh, they were launched on Elastic Beanstalk. And it worked fine, uh, but we wanted to, to have something that is more observable for, for the development experience, especially, and also for the operation side, DevOps. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of concern because Kubernetes is a beast. There's a lot of configurations. Although it's like a managed service, um, for example, we use AWS EKS, but still there's a lot of concept that needs to be understood and the learning curve is not really easy. Um, so what we did, we use our PGF um, days. Every Friday, we have a personal growth Friday and, and we did Kubernetes sessions, me and one of the DevOps guys at the time for about still seven or eight months. And we just created this confidence on in the engineering team and tooling and confidence and like concept uh, explanation that essentially just naturally was was adopted. There was, there was no fear of like, um, how am I facing it? Because everything, basically it was explained. Um, so after about like six, six seven months, um, we actually introduced it into production and it's running today and it's great it allowed us a lot of things but uh no go on i, I was going to ask a question in there uh, what, what's it allowed yeah, yeah. what's it allowed you to do what, what's it leveraged within the business then i'll ask a couple of my questions yeah it's um okay one thing that was really nice about it is, is also linked to development experience because yeah Kubernetes creates this platform that is detached from the cloud provider. So you can run essentially testing environments locally. You can experiment fast. You can uh, easily using tool like telepresence, for example, you can develop locally as if you are in the cluster. Yeah. Um, it, so it, it introduced a lot of tooling that, that we couldn't, we, we could have found them, but for example, even things like API gateways, um, when we explored, uh, solutions it was 
quite a lot of maintenance and configurations. Yeah. And with Kubernetes, we could just use traffic, which is great. Like it's highly configurable, scalable. It works out of the box. Yeah. yeah. When when coaching, that that's a really interesting engineering culture aspect. I think to you that you're quite proud of and good for you uh, around PGF. But when when learning with your peer for six seven months and trying to coach that back to the team. In moments like that, uh, are, are there friction points? Not necessarily individually with Nate, but are there friction points in teams where people are looking at individual use cases and and spotting things that might not work? H- how do those yeah. conversations typically pan out? It's uh, uh, Donnie. Thing I can say it's like magically resolved because we actually embrace this conversation. Okay. There's there's no there's no leveling or hierarchy in terms of seniority. And engineers can an engineer can speak his mind. And and it's and if someone finds something that actually makes the solution not feasible, then it's great. Uh, one of the core values that we have in it is disagreement is healthy. So so we encourage to disagree and challenge the the decisions. And it's okay, like if you made a decision to move to Kubernetes, but then it's actually not a good solution. Why would we go for it? So it's um, it's all about discussions. Obviously, everyone has its own opinion, opinions, experience. Um, but in the end, for example, me as CTO, I don't feel like even a decision maker. I, I'm, I'm just making whatever makes sense. We we take an idea, we explore it, we do a POC. We see if it's workable, we move on. The, the business has obviously matured technically and practices and processes need to come with that as well, seemingly that they are being done. What, what else are you proud of that you've introduced in the way of practices or mindset that, that are at Nate now? Um. So I, I mentioned forgiveness of permi- over permission um, principle, and I think it's one of the core. Um, so, sorry, I was talking about disagreement is healthy. Okay, so uh, two things, um, two values that actually all of the values. Like we have uh, five values at night. We, we have self-care isn't selfish, which means that you, you should not compromise your health of um, over being productive or delivering work, you, you need yeah. to take care of yourself. Um, the other value is make, make two promises. So if you promise something, you need to actually deliver it. And it's okay if it's, there's always like unforeseen circumstances. So, so if you promise something, but there's something came up, it's okay to delay it as long as you communicate it, but yeah. you do need to do whatever you, you promised. Um, the third one is always look forwards. So if you screw up something, um, we don't grill about why, why did you do it? We analyze the situation. Uh, so, so for example, if there is an incident in production, uh, we make it a small term. Um, we talk about what went wrong and, and we think about how can we improve it instead of thinking about how, why it went wrong. Um, and the four, and there's two more. That's uh, it. Carry on. Should I go? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Carry on. Um, the fourth one is forgiveness over permission, yeah. um, meaning that 
if you need to do something, you shouldn't like, you shouldn't let any process that, that stand, stands in your way to disrupt your productivity. So, so for example, if you're an engineer, you need to fix something in production. You don't need to wait for approval from your manager before you do it. You just need to go and do it if it's yeah. the right thing. And it links nicely with um, uh, always look forward because if you took this initiative and you screwed up, it, it's also fine because yeah. you just move on. I think the values, the values are really important. Sorry if I'm, I'm jumping in, but values yeah. are massively important, yeah. especially in... Uh, businesses, engineering environments, uh, you you need values, principles that everyone knows that they can live by, that they are essentially um, the, the lines on your football pitch, so to speak. They are the lines or the yeah. bounds within where you need to work and what you need to do. And everything within that is down to you. And it's quite autonomous. But I, I do believe in that. Or those boundaries, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I 100%. The, all these values, they're, they're not really technically driven, but they're no. company-wide values, but they are they boils down in, into our engineering philosophy as well, because it's like, in, in the end of the day, whoever does the tech is human beings that work in, in the company. Yeah. But there's another one, uh, another value, uh, disagreement is, is healthy, yeah. that I mentioned. So to your question about how did we resolve or how the engineering culture evolved, it was yes. a combination of all, all these principles. And because we, we kept to actually emphasizing them, um, it just evolved as a nice place to work yeah. and disagree and argue and come, come to solutions. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Uh, and I think that that's quite, I think well, it's typical of most workplaces, but engineering environments you will have different ideas different problem solving capabilities that naturally create a disagreement or two different ways of thinking conversations yeah. whatever that might be uh, yeah, yeah. So, no. no i was going to say on the en on the engineering um side of the business there's there's some maturation there as in you have started to mature, you've started to think about doing things differently when it's come to migrating to Kubernetes, thinking about your system moving away from this monolith. There are some other things around devs looking after operational health of what they build and why is that mindset introduced and there's tests and pipelines. Uncover some of those parts for us and introduce the whys to some of those that would be good to know one technical aspect or like technical um, mindset that um, that we kind of shifted in the in the past year and a half is giving the development teams the scrum teams which are like cross-functional so, so we have a team of front-end engineers back-end engineers product manager QA yeah. um, so the shift was to giving them the the responsibility for the deployments, the infrastructure management, the monitoring, basically owning the whole process from the beginning till the end. And technically, it was done by removing infrastructure as code made in Terraform in DevOps repository into uh, decom decomposing it into like smaller repositories for each yeah. team. And uh, 
same with with like Kubernetes. Uh, when we, when we start do, doing it, we realize that there's a lot of um, questioning from the engineering side. How am I going to manage it if I'm not the DevOps side? So we, again, we, we did this uh, internal upscaling when we explained how Terraform works. Some people uh, did the uh, HoshiCorp certification, yeah. but in the end, it created these smaller teams that are responsible for everything, and they understand also what's yeah. going on end to end, and they can they can just they they, they just self contain They don't need this help from from the platform team for twenty four seven, and we can also see it if you analyze the incidents in the production and on the call and how if something happens. If engineering team is fixing, or that there is a platform guy comes to help them, so you can see like the dependency getting yeah. less and less, and and also the engineers themselves are quite happy because it it's a new technology, it's a new tool, it's a new skill, so it's like a win-win. Yeah. Go, going yeah. back to your initial point, was that natural or deliberate? That might be my oversight. What was that a deliberate in terms of? People had to start understanding infrastructure as code and terraform. You you had to start, yeah. Like we did it. Um, it wasn't like imposed. Like everybody now is doing terraform. Please go and deploy it because obviously that wouldn't work. We started with, with a smaller team um, and we did an experiment for I don't remember a month or two, and and we saw that they actually operationally uh, okay with it. And then the knowledge just spread because once you bring it into the engineering repositories, they, they, they will they will be curious. They will look into it. They will look into CI/CD pipelines. They will look into yeah. scripts, and they, naturally the knowledge will spread. Yeah, mm -hmm. help us un help us understand the CD the CD pipeline stuff as well because I touched on that as in okay. you've yes. now got a real big focus on tests, CD pipelines. Touch on that as we're on the subject uh, and where that shift came from. Yeah. Um, one of the big changes that we're currently doing still is uh, trunk-based development. So, so instead of having... We still have dev environment, staging environment, and production environment, but instead of having each branch, like development branch, staging branch, and master branch, we have one main branch and... It deploys to, let's say, dev stage, and it runs acceptance tests. And if yeah. acceptance tests are passed, it deploys to staging. Staging can, can do acceptance tests, solo tests, and eventually it will go into production. Um, and, it, and it started because we wanted to reduce the time to production. There was a lot of time spent both on um, the version control management, like uh, conflicts, in, conflicts uh, in the branches, uh, because the team grew and everybody's working on the same code base until you decompose this code yeah. base into smaller ones. It, it take time. And also introducing more and more automation tests gives more and more um, stability and um, just trusting the process that if you deploy stuff, it will work as, as, it, as it's expected because acceptance tests are also driven by the product. So it's not development, the, the, the developers, like back engineers deciding how they're going to do acceptance tests. When the feature is designed, it's supported by acceptance tests from a business uh, perspective. So yeah, just creating more confidence and speed speeding up deployments um, time to, to production from dev to product. Yeah. Nice. Deliberate or natural again? 
it started deliberately. So it actually started, it, it didn't came from, from, from like the top management. It came yeah. from the engineers that were working on one of the projects and they were really frustrated with the time they're spending not being productive. So they said, why don't we do trunk based? And again, we did like a POC. We saw that we can do it and, and figure roll it out. And now it's going, I think we have, um, I would say 20% of the services converted to trunk base. We still have a lot of work to do, but uh, it did show uh, increasing stability and confidence. Yeah, I think especially in engineering teams as well, it, it is important to to allow engineers to be autonomous and give them control over decisions as to how they want to work or how they want to build something or ship to production. Yeah. I, th I think that's key. And that probably plays to, again, uh, a company value that you've got, right? Yeah. Um, for example, recently, uh, two engineers, two backend engineers from different teams, they they paired on, on the PGF to introduce dollar metrics, which, which is something that constantly monitors how your code is, is deployed and okay. how much time do you spend like install branches and so on. And I mean, I heard about it, but I never worked in an environment that had it integrated. And when I look at it, I was a mess. I was, I wished I was an engineer that worked in this kind of system that gives you observability of all whatever we have. Yeah. So, so yeah, like inspiring this um, innovation and testing and rapid prototyping, it's a, it's a great benefit. Obviously, there's a challenge of, of keeping things like stable. That's why we have a plat platform team. Yeah. Um, but so so far it worked well. But as you scale, more and more people coming in, more and more teams, it might diverge, and you don't want that. You want to have a consistent way. Yes, the system. That, that's true. It seems as if you've got some really core values that drive how you work and interact with yourselves. It seems as if you're moving in the right direction from a technical standpoint. Where do you think Nate want to be or will be in regards to the product? As in, what's next? What's coming? <laughs> uh, what's coming? Um, one thing that I can say, uh, the, the, there wasn't an announcement about integrating with crypto payments. So that would be... That will be a big one. We don't know yet when and how it will happen. We need to uh, to scope it out. But uh, the idea is that we will enable to pay with any payment that you want: credit cards, debit cards, uh, buy now, pay later stuff, um, bank accounts, and now crypto. Basically, it covers almost all the possibilities. Wow. Yeah. And additionally, there's there's yeah, that's one thing. Um, additionally, there is a partnership for product, which is, which is an offering to, um, to B2B publishers to integrate with Nate. So it will be like a web, uh, a web integration as they can. Um, let's say you, you publish an article and you have a link to, to a product. If you have a Nate account, you can buy with Nate, or you create a Nate account on the website and buy it from there. So it's not limited only to iOS ecosystem anymore. Nice. Okay. That's some good stuff. It would be nice to see you guys at some point. I don't know if this is on the roadmap, and I'm not looking for any spoilers either, <laughs> um, but at some point in UK.
or Europe. Yeah, yeah, that that will be that will be really cool. It, it is it is constantly in, in our mindset, but um, we we need to to, to do some groundwork first, uh, pre preparation of the infrastructure, and um, yeah, it will come. Good. Listen, key things <laughs> that we always finish off with, as yeah. well as there's some obviously some interesting engineering challenges it, it's a forward-thinking engineering environment that's autonomous that there's going to be some big pluses when it comes to potentially working at nate like we've mentioned uh, help listeners understand a little bit around what you're looking for or if you're hiring people and what you're looking for um so people can come and check you guys and girls out and yeah. see what you're up to or speak to you. Yeah, um, our interview process consists of uh, of four stages. One is a screen phone with our uh, in-house recruiter, then a screen phone with uh, with the, the direct manager for the team that you're interviewing to. Um, then it, it depends on, on the candidate. The candidate can choose either to take a home challenge or a face-to-face um, technical um, interview yeah um, if you take the home challenge some people just prefer it uh, to spend more time to make it more uh, more nice as a project and some people don't have time for that and they yeah. prefer to, to just come face to face and then uh, the fourth is the cultural interview so you're interviewing with someone who's not necessarily a technical guy yeah um, but um yeah so what we're looking for is um just problem solvers. We our interviews are kind of a language agnostic. Uh, some some teams will be like more focused on Node.js, something will be focused on Python, something will be, will, will be focusing on Go. But the questions are more general uh, in terms of giving you a, a situation and how would you respond to it in terms of soft skill or communication skills or architectural de- decisions or you know f- finding a bottleneck. Um, but not, none of the interviews is exactly the same. We don't have like a template, but this is the template how we interview. It really depends on the interviewer. Some people who are really experienced, they will get much harsher interview than uh, junior guys. But um, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, a random it's system personal. design interview. <laughs> no, it's not. There's like general guidance and general ideas, but... We have uh, a lot of questions, and the questions can be mutated depending on the situation. Nice. Okay. But generally, it's like it's um, we're looking for for good, good engineers. Doesn't matter where you're coming from, uh, with problem solving skills and um, and willing to learn new technology. Because it doesn't matter where you're coming from. There's always be some, something new. We might use some tooling that you didn't use in the past. Um, nice. Yeah. UK based. A UK based and US based. We have also an engineering function in the US. Okay. Yeah. If you're listening, ladies and gents, we've got we've got some followers um, in the US that that listen to us on a regular basis. It still shocks me, honestly. Um, we've got a large okay. contingent of people in the UK. So uh, check the guys and girls out at Nate. Obviously, if you're US based, have a look on the App Store. 
and see a little bit about what these guys and girls are doing, download them, try and use them. But UK-based, check out Pavel, check out some of the other guys and girls, and I'm sharing some links below um, for you to see a little bit what about what they're about. Have a look at their website. But I think we've covered off some really nice areas around what the business does, what they're building, and how autonomous some of their teams are and some of their engineering challenges. So check them out. Pavel, uh, I want to say a big thanks. Thanks for coming to talk to us and, yeah. and share your four years. Um, you got excited with the migration to Kubernetes, which is good to see. So if you want a smiley CTO um, who oversees <laughs> some of this tech stuff, come and talk to the guys and girls. Thanks. It was a pleasure. A pleasure, Pavel. And always remember, like, share, subscribe, show your friends, show your friends importantly, and I'll see you all soon. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.